1: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino, the returning Rhino in the Element Well Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Morning, and welcome back there, Rhino. Howdy, howdy. Well, how was the weekend and the couple of days off? We had some folks asking about you yesterday, and I informed them that you're entitled to a day off here and there. We Every all once are. in a while. i got to <laughs> use
3: them or lose them. They don't roll over. So I uh, figured I'd use a few and have some time. It was good. I got to uh, catch up on some, some sports. I got to watch some Formula One and some Indy and... Some soccer with the USA, winning the Nations League, beating Mexico and Canada, so that was fun. Got to go to Tupelo and spend some time with the family and dad for Father's Day. So, yeah, it was good to unplug and mute every political word I could think of on social media (laughs) and just disconnect for a bit. Yeah. Well, what about Father's Day? What'd you do? Uh, Well, we went to Red Lobster with... uh, the ninja nephew and the littlest wonder niece and my <laughs> older brother and his oldest, my oldest wonder niece and her boyfriend and my little brother and his bride, and I got to pay for dad's dinner. Okay. So it was all good. And uh, then went to church yesterday morning and went and had lunch. It was, just, it was a good time spent by all. Yeah. Well, good.
1: Yeah, it was a good. Uh, good weekend.
3: Finally, it looks
1: like we got this severe weather out of here.
3: Somewhat. There's still a chance for some in the uh, southernmost portions of the Magnolia State today, but it doesn't look like it's going to be as severe as it has been.
1: I'm, uh, I guess, a little weary from stressing out over that. It seems to have always been in the wee hours of the morning, as they say. And a couple of times there, I sprung up from my bed. Of course, you were off Friday, but Friday morning was really bad in, in my area. And it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. Sprung up, opened the curtains, and looked outside. And it was like it was daytime with all the lightning, honestly. And strong winds come through, debris stuff. I fortunately did not lose power. Lots of Mississippians did. And uh, Haley Forsackerly was on with Paul Gallo yesterday discussing that. And Public Service Commissioner... Brett Bailey has uh, expressed his frustrations and been in contact with Entergy, not sure what's going on there. A friend sent me a text that they received from Entergy, says they have 18,559 customers remaining without power from the weekend storms. The damage to the electrical system is extensive is how they describe it. They said restoration times for customers that can safely take service in the Jackson, Meridian, Rankin, and Clinton areas are expected to be by 10 p.m. tomorrow, Wednesday, June 21st. Currently, over 2,300 workers have been engaged in the effort to restore service. This number includes line crews, vegetation crews, damage assessors, and support personnel from both Entergy and their third-party contract partners. The company expects to have an additional 145 line workers arrive on Tuesday that will be strategically placed in the areas of biggest need. So I'm assuming they're coming from neighboring states, power systems. Oh, yeah. Typically how that works As is as, um, – is the case with uh, our power companies? They will come to the aid of the neighboring states when there's no issue here and there are in the other states. So I know there's some reciprocity that occurs there. But it's been a hassle, a pain for a lot of people. I'm certainly aware of that. As uh, I think we all know somebody who's experienced something, big old hail came through. Did a lot of damage to some
3: parts of the state. Had five inch hail. Jeez,
1: gotta believe that would certainly ruin your roof, oh, your vehicle, yeah. etc. So unusual uh, for June. I can't recall that sort of severe weather coming through in the month of June. It's unusual, and then then of course it's hot out in Texas and other parts of the country. Where are the climate cult people? they got to be just
3: absolutely ecstatic about this, right? No, they're, they're busy being found guilty of setting fires in California. Saw that as part
1: of the political event, right, Joe Biden out there. How crazy is that? That and, of course, defacing priceless artworks. They like to do that, too, right? Oh, yeah. Stephen McCraney, executive director of MENA, will join middays at 11.05. And then Joel and Natasha from America's Roundtable radio program will come talk to us, dial in at, when are they coming on, 12.20 today. That should be an interesting discussion because Hunter Biden, wow, he's pleading guilty to some tax problems at a minimum we'll see where that goes federal tax charges apparently there's a deal with prosecutors a year-long investigation of Hunter Biden the president's son misdemeanor tax charges, zero about the Burisma scandal the laptop cetera. nothing on that front but uh, you know you got some misdemeanor charges
3: that the uh,
1: president's son is going to have nice to deal with. Nice, owe
3: the government millions in back taxes, and uh, it's only a misdemeanor.
1: I don't get that, and I, I know there's some idiosyncrasies associated with tax evasion and t- just outstanding tax bills, amounts owed. And I'm uh, I haven't researched that in a while, but I know there's some. Some rules around that, some law around that, whether or not it's felony or misdemeanor. But yeah, this is just a misdemeanor. It has captured the attention of the media, certainly on the right, what little right (laughs) leading media there is.
3: But. Well, having muted a big chunk of political talking points on social media, all I've seen is the submarine. Yeah. How about that? That is wild. What's the latest? Uh, So far, they still haven't found it, and uh, the time allotted for emergency air is quickly running out. 96 hours, I believe? I believe that was the upper bound. Okay. It was between 70 and 96 hours. And usually that, I mean, if I'm not a scuba diver or any kind of expert in underwater anything, but from what I understand, part of the training for, say, cave diving is if you get stuck, you have to force yourself to not panic because then you're burning more oxygen True. by hyperventilating. Yep. And I doubt many of the people on board are professionally trained, so yeah, the, the upper bound of available oxygen is probably not what they have. Totally bizarre. One of the
1: passengers is one of Pakistan's richest men, Sun and sun. How about that? Going on a tour to see the Titanic. I didn't even know that. And there's another guy on
3: there that recently went to space with was it SpaceX? Okay. He was one of the people that recently went to space as a civilian astronaut. Totally bizarre deal.
1: The ocean gate company that operates the, the submarine and the tour.
3: Last year apparently I must not get the magazines they uh, advertise in, (laughs) because it's $250,000 a trip. Oh, I figured it was pretty pricey. I mean, it sounds like a great idea, but
1: I'm just a little shocked that there's like only one person on board that can actually drive that
3: thing, right? And you've seen what they use to drive it, haven't you? Uh Uh-uh. It's an off-brand PlayStation controller. Oh, geez. With little 3D-printed nodules for the, the joysticks. It's just shocking
1: that with all the technology available today, we we can't A, find this thing, and B, it's not transmitting its location somehow.
3: I mean, that sort of stuff's been around for a long time. Then again, they are visiting the Titanic, which took a notoriously long time to find. That's true. Because of how deep it is.
1: And so... I guess I heard last night from someone who's familiar with the company and the tour itself, it takes roughly two hours in the submarine to get to the the site, the Titanic site of the wreckage. Two hours to descend and traverse in that direction something weird this is a story for the ages for sure we're in the element well studios today just getting started a lot of stuff to talk about in the political world both nationally and here at home the races are heating up stay with us we're coming right back
0: middays with gerard G- On Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Middays, we're in the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The markets in the red today started out that way, and then the housing numbers came out hotter than expected. Housing starts were up relative to what economists had forecast. And so that sort of signals to the market that the Fed's got more work to do with respect to curbing inflation. Meaning they're likely to raise rates more than thought. Oh, boy. Yeah. So the Dow... Immediately plummeted on the news, now down 313. It was kind of hanging around the 110 to 120 mark a short hour ago, but now it's plunged to 319. The uh, Of course, the NASDAQ down, all the indexes are down as well. Meanwhile, the president is telling us how great everything is. And speaking of the IRS and Hunter Biden's little problem there, Something that should shake every American to the core is an incident that occurred back in April in the great state of Ohio. You see, April 25th to be exact, Marion, Ohio, a taxpayer was visited at their home by an IRS agent who said their name was Bill... House, spelled H-A-U-S, said that uh, Mr. House did, announced that he worked in the IRS Criminal Division, told the taxpayer he needed to talk to her about an estate. You see, she was the fiduciary, as named in the various legal documents, managing the estate. Mr. House said, You hadn't properly filled out all the estate forms and you owed the IRS, quote, a substantial amount, end quote. So the taxpayer said, Well, no, look, I paid. Here here are my returns. And then the agent said, Well, I'm really not here for that. It's this is really about some. Delinquent return, supposedly, related to the owner of the estate, now the decedent. So, the taxpayer called their attorney. And the attorney said, Mr. House, you need to leave. He replied to the attorney, I am an IRS agent. I can be at and go into anyone's house at any time I want to be. Folks, you hear what I said there? That's from an IRS agent. They can just bust up into your house and camp out as long as they want. Is this America? Oh, but have no fear, Rhino. Joe's going to add 80,000 more of these fools. That should shake everybody to the core. Oh, but the Democrats say, no, we haven't weaponized the various agencies in, federal, in the federal government. No, nah, nothing like that. So Mr. House finally left. But he threatened the taxpayer. I'm gonna freeze your assets and put a lien on your house. If you don't satisfy this outstanding balance, these supposed delinquent tax returns related to the decedent, within a week So she called the police. She went a step further, did the taxpayer, said this sounds like a scam. It does. And the police ran the license plate, did a did a license plate check to verify his identity. And though he identified as an IRS agent, the police said his real name isn't House. He used an alias. And the the police, suspecting a scam, warned that if he came back, he's going to be arrested. So then, the IRS agent filed a complaint against a Marion police officer, Marion, Ohio, with the Treasury Department uh, IG, the Inspector General. Unbelievable. So the House of Representatives Jim Jordan sent a letter to Mr. House's, his alias, the IRS agent, supervisor at the IRS, who clarified she owes nothing, by the way, and said, in what has to be the understatement of the year, maybe the century, uh, things should have never gotten this far. (laughs) So the following day, the taxpayer gets a letter addressed to the decedent. Of the estate, she again, remember, is the fiduciary for the estate, stating that, hey, the, the delinquent, the deceased is delinquent on several individual 1040 tax returns. So the taxpayer said, that's just not true, nothing's owed, and was notified then the case was closed, just like went away. Man, this is scary. This is scary. This could happen to anyone. I've shared this before. I had a similar, much smaller, less egregious example where I got a call out of the blue 25 years ago. From, at the time, my stockbroker. I had a little bit of money, honestly. Gerard, your accounts have been frozen. What do you mean they've been frozen? The IRS frozen. What for? I don't know. you got to call them. So I called. The Memphis office at that point handled this area. Memphis sent me to a local agent here in Jackson who called and said, Yeah, the problem is, Mr. Gibbert, we got this money sitting here in an account where you paid in taxes, but we don't have any returns associated with those funds. What do you mean you don't have any returns? I sent them. We don't have them. Well, i got them right here. I show where I filed them. Now, back then, honestly, like most people, i just drop them in the mail. This is before e-file. Just drop them in the mail. And the agent said, well, I live in your area where I'm, I'm, I told him I was at my office. Well, I, I passed by there on my way home. What if I stopped by and get off at 430? Sure. stop by, <laughs> looking at my returns, which I had ready there. It was three years of returns, And, of course... When you own a business and you got business income, those returns can be a little lengthy and a little complex, more so than the normal, I just get wages in a W-2. And she's sitting there flipping through them and says, Well, uh, I guess you didn't do these since I talked to you two hours ago. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't do three years of tax returns in two hours since you and I talked. And so she took them. And filed them. They called me a couple of months later. Oh, by the way, you overpaid. Like 750 bucks. Great. Send me a refund. Oh, no. The statute's run. What if I owed? Oh, you'd have to pay. (laughs) What can I do? Call your congressman. Right. It's so crazy.
3: It is. This is scary. almost like it's been a perpetual shakedown for as long as it's been in existence. Yeah. It's
1: way... Worse now than it was 25 years ago. I can't help but think about the Obama era. Was it Lois Lerner in her smug face up on the hill? Remember that? Had her dead gum nose so high up in the air. And that was because the IRS was denying applications for 501c3 nonprofit status to conservative organizations. It was just clear as day. And she was just up there testifying. She was called to the Hill to do so. And she didn't flatly deny it, but she certainly didn't come clean. She didn't appear to be either apologetic or or show any remorse for that action. This is scary, in my view. This person shows up under an alias and says, Oh, yeah, I can just stay here. Tells the lawyer that. Because I'm an IRS agent. That's total horse hockey. Very disturbing. Hmm. A house call by the, by the IRS. It's not right.
3: Get not. their card, call a local attorney, and don't talk to them. Yep, exactly.
1: And this person will let them in it was being accommodating.
3: Hmm. The federal government can and will lie to you. Don't let them.
1: Wow. We're taking a break right here in the Element Well Studios. Don't forget Stephen McRaney from Mema coming up at eleven oh five. We got to dig into the uh, state elections as well here, Rhino, because they're coming up pretty soon. Stay with us.
0: it's time for Midday's with Gerard Gibbert.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk, Mississippi. So, Tim and McGee asked a question. He said, uh, talking about the expansion of funding for additional IRS agents, and Roger Wicker voted for this, correct? Uh, no, he, he didn't. No Republicans supported the Inflation Reduction Act, and that is the bill that included uh, all sorts of the liberal wish list, including funding for IRS agents eighty thousand pardon me 80 billion to fund 87 thousand and then the debt ceiling deal recently passed stripped uh, I think ten billion dollars a minimal amount honestly and so honestly folks I don't think they can find 87 thousand agents to work for the IRS real I really don't the people who are qualified aren't going to work for the IRS, and the people who are not qualified are perfectly happy with their current situation of playing video games and smoking dope. I know, I'm stereotyping a bit, but there's no secret that we got a lot of jobs still open, available in this country, and a lot of people who aren't rushing out to take them. So, what... Senator Wicker did vote for, however, Tim, three votes where he broke, you could say, with Republicans, the majority of Republicans in the Senate, and joined Democrats. And that was the giant $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. And then the $500 billion CHIPS Act, big time subsidies for chip makers. And then the other one was the omnibus spending bill, which was passed right before Christmas, one point seven trillion dollars, despite Republican House members' uh, request, including who, I guess was best positioned to be the Speaker of the House, coming up, Kevin McCarthy they uh they implored the Senate Republicans not to support that bill and to allow that spending measure to originate as it should in the House once the House is seated, so they could have a more active role in in the spending measure. But unfortunately, 17 or 18 Republicans in the Senate broke with their counterparts, the majority of their Republican counterparts in the Senate, joined Senate, all Senate Democrats, which was required, once again, because of the 60-vote filibuster situation in the Senate. So it was those three measures, just to be clear, that Senator Wicker was in a minority of Republicans in the Senate in supporting the Democrat authored, sponsored legislation necessary to get those measures passed into the president's desk for enactment. Again, the infrastructure, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, it's called bipartisan because it got votes in the Senate, and then the CHIPS Act, and then the Omnibus Spending Bill. The Inflation Reduction Act, which Joe Biden is is quick to point out was a huge accomplishment on his part, and it's blasting Republicans because they seek to repeal some of its provisions, that garnered zero Republican votes in either chamber. Inflation Reduction Act. Again, the most farcically named bill ever (laughs) in, in the U.S. Congress. But every time Biden speaks, he, of course, Boasts about some of its provisions and blasts Republicans who seek to repeal some of them, such as the massive amount of subsidies that um, go to companies that are sort of in the green energy business. Electric vehicles would be one. Obviously, customer uh, companies that produce electric appliances and solar panels and. And electrical panels, that, that comes to mind as the the main tax credits available to individual taxpayers if they invest in any of those things. But you know what happens, Rhino, is you you pass these bills that have all these tax credits in them, which the thought process is that Customers are going to go out and take advantage of those tax credits and buy their stuff. So then you know what happens is those companies, in sort of a quid pro quo arrangement, unspoken quid pro quo arrangement, they simply just give a lot of that money back to the campaign. That's kind of a circular deal. Okay, we're going, to, we're going to issue all these tax credits, so people are going to go out and buy your stuff That's going to increase your revenue and profit, and then you're going to carve out some of that and give it back to the politicians who pushed it through. That's the way that deal works, and I think this frustrates a lot of Americans. But that's how the game's played, I guess. And we wonder why we can't get anything done, says Tim. Democrats always, and I mean always, stick together. I agree with you, Tim, and, and you know, I I have been critical of uh those three votes. Objective analysis. I think those were bad pieces of legislation. And I wish they had not passed. And honestly the and as I recall Rhino and I don't remember which one, but it was seventeen, eighteen, nineteen Republican senators that joined with Democrats to get those three measures passed. One of them had 17, one of them had 18, one of them had 19. But it's, it's the same group, if you look at it. It's the it's the exact same names appear on the list of Republicans that supported, including Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader. It does appear that he obviously wields influence over this group, and uh, seems like he, for... Some reason, never really heard any, any logic from him, Um, any explanation, I should say, from him as to why he supported those Democrat measures. But something's going on there, and he was able to bring with him this handful of other Republicans to get that stuff passed. Elaine and Jackson said he would have been hogtied at my house. Just saying, talking about the IRS agent. Mike from Madison says, yeah, it was Amazon Space Run. The CEO of the company is on the submarine. Yeah, that's what Rhino just said. Appreciate that. Mike. Well,
3: he was correcting me. I thought it was SpaceX, but okay. yeah, it was Amazon. Yep.
1: Gotcha. It was one of those. Gotcha, yep. Fox News covered this last night, says Carol Stark. Starkville. It's not an easy task to locate with depth, visual, et cetera. Yeah, I I caught that as well, Carol. It, it just seems to me like that there would be technology available. I'm shocked there's not. To keep tabs on a vessel under the sea like that
3: not sure well more and more information has come out from previous people that had got to experience the same exact dive with the same exact company and apparently it's not unusual to lose audio communication contact with the people in the sub hmm. interesting didn't know that
1: really crazy Washington politicians are just like professional wrestlers, all political theater," says Ken in West Point. McConnell playing both sides and keeping the benefits from both sides on the ceasefire tax line. So in Mississippi, a bit of an announcement in that former state representative Dan Eubanks has filed as a candidate for US Senate in the 2024 election in Mississippi. So he would be a contender for the seat, currently held by Senior Senator Roger Wicker. So that's interesting. He has uh, certainly filed officially, and he is a candidate. So he kind of wondered when he did not announce that he was running for re-election for his House seat uh, in, the, in the State House of Representatives, and now we know why. He intends to run for U.S. Senate. He's a two-term state lawmaker. He said, I've been praying for this for about, for about the last year, and every time it kept coming up, this is what you're supposed to do. He said that yesterday, part of my decision to run is my disappointment in the way Senator Wicker has been voting. I just had a real issue with a whole lot of the direction he's been taking. I don't think it accurately represents our people here in Mississippi. It certainly doesn't represent me. He said his top of the list of priorities, if elected to federal office, would be to rein in the national deficit. We can't continue to print money at the rate we are printing it, he said. The world is taking note. We're stepping aside for a break right here in the Element Well Studios. We're coming right back with another segment. And then after the break, at the top of the hour, it's Stephen McRaney, Executive Director of MIMA.
0: Come on. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Everyone, the great Don Henley. Dirty laundry. That's what we do here, right? That's what he's talking about. (laughs) To a certain extent. (laughs) Huntington Beach High School out there in California says, Hold my beer, woke people. Good grief. All right, so a video which has gone viral of students reacting to a pride video shown during the class where featuring pride videos is part of the instructional
3: content. Very important, math. Ah, yes. How would we ever figure out algebra without wokeness? (laughs)
1: Students there were threatened with detention for shouting and objecting to the video, which showed two girls intimately touching and kissing. It was two students in the video. So it turns out they showed it in all the classes. I believe it was ordered by the principal, and now it's thought maybe it came from the school district. So when it started, and I've seen the video, the students, which I think is good, they object. And honestly, I think I really believe most of them feel the way I and I think a lot of Americans do. I don't care about that. It just has no place in a classroom. It's not germane to the mission here, which is to teach you math. But you found it to be a convenient platform to brainwash kids to push this crap. Because you've got a captive audience, and you're a teacher. So what happened is she got into a bit of a tussle, did the teacher, with a student who was capturing it on video. How could you not think they're going to do that? You can't pick your nose without somebody putting it on video. And she says, I warn you guys, if you're going to be inappropriate, I will have supervision down and give all of you a Saturday school for next year.
3: If they're going to be inappropriate.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It was a student-produced Bolt TV, a monthly news report produced by the students there. I had no idea. So apparently the student, has retained counsel. Good for her. She says that essentially she was assaulted, accosted at a minimum, and that the teacher took her phone. Oh my gosh. She said at no time was the teacher concerned with the students' visceral reactions as they watched this video clip of these same-sex couples and Provocative, intimate positions and poses. It's nothing, according to the teacher. Unbelievable. So what kind of garbage is that? You ha- you're you c- compelled. And if you don't, there are repercussions. You're compelled to to accept, to consume, to view this inappropriate content, and if you don't, you're going to Saturday school, whatever the hell that is, all next year.
3: This was a sophomore, by the way. Accept degenerates or accept detention. Exactly. Oh, so this is what
1: I, I liked coming from one of the parents. Now, this is Huntington Beach, California. Hardly a conservative enclave. One parent said, I'm pulling my children out. They're teaching what he described as a comprehensive sexual education. Quote, We've been battling this for a long time, and now it's come to surface. Everybody's onto this, including the kids. That's indoctrination that's going on in your schools. This is what probably bothers me and why we talk about it a lot, because this is happening on a widespread basis in this country. Cannot be denied. And I would be interested to hear from our audience, anyone in our audience, who's aware of any of this sort of stuff going on in schools in Mississippi. It'd be hard to believe that it's not, given that it is going on. There have been numerous reports of this sort of stuff going on in numerous states, multiple states,
3: well, considering there's only 365 days in a normal calendar year, but if you look at the national days, there's 127 devoted to the degenerate lifestyle of the alphabet soup community. That's true. Yeah, this
1: is what I this is what bothers me is that the party line response from the school district, the Huntington Beach School District, is committed to fostering a safe and respectful environment. Where every student is provided an opportunity to learn. It's the same damn word-solid message every time. We're committed to, rah, 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 like, no, you're not. You're committed to shoving this junk down everybody's throat. We're taking a break for Fox News and Super Talk News. Stephen McRaney from MEMA up next.
0: Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Hour two Middays live from the Element Well Studios. It's a Tuesday in Mississippi. We welcome now Stephen McRaney, Executive Director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. So uh, thanks for coming in, Stephen. Yes, sir. Thank you. You guys have been pretty dang busy a lot busier than normal
2: for June. we were just talking about that yeah it's uh it's like almost like training camp it's uh, uh June this year has been uh, an oddity which we normally would see in a february march time frame uh these types of uh activity and tornadoes as the seasons get ready to shift and yeah uh we're we're also looking at. Possible. Well, a hurricane, Brett, out there tropical storm out there in the saw that uh, coming our way, but we we're 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 hopeful that the wind shear on it is gonna uh, slow it down and and give it another place to go. So we're
1: but we are ready. What uh, what are the good folks at Mema doing right now in the wake of the storms that have impacted uh, several areas of the state? The most recent we were talking about um, last night, overnight down the coast, Lost Point, Jackson County area significant but, damage to a yeah.
2: small area, but big-time damage. It is, and uh, it, it just takes one uh, tornado to get on the ground, the one over in uh uh, we, we look at you ask me, what are we doing? You know, of course, we're still working Rolling Fork and, uh, Amory yeah. and those storms. We have a, a joint field office with FEMA, uh, here, okay. uh, in the state. So we, we certainly have our, our public assistance folks and individual si- assistance folks out there. We're, we're trying to get mobile home units into those areas to get those, uh, folks' uh, lives back to, uh, uh where, where, where they can be functional. And then, uh, when we look at what happened yesterday, uh, well, last yesterday and night before, this all runs together. So it's uh, uh, l- looking at Jasper County as uh, we had a tornadic event uh, go through there, uh, Lewin, uh, the metropolis of it, and a little bit north of it uh, just pre- pretty much decimated. Little hills and hollows, but i tell hmm. you what, that, that one was a, a three that went through there, they're looking at 145 to 155-mile-an-hour winds. Uh, They they came through there and just uh, – it doesn't matter if you were in a brick house. It doesn't matter if your house was wood. It put it on the ground and put it in rubble. And so Mm. uh, Mm. uh, one uh, fatality there. Um, uh, But uh, 72 homes right now is what we looked at yesterday. We're trying to refine that number uh, in uh, Jasper County today. We had 18 people in the hospital um and uh, we're 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 trying to get everything together to see if we can uh, meet a declaration for the hmm. state of Mississippi. It takes about 5.2 million dollars worth of damage uh, for us to uh, get a declaration. And then you had Edwards, uh, uh, I think, uh, Hines County down yeah. in Utica called me about an EF one yesterday uh, hmm. that was uh, happened a couple of days ago. Just got confirmed as an EF one. So we're currently rolling up all those damages and then. Down on the coast, uh, uh, late last evening, uh, very, very tense situation, but we have uh, some uh, folks from MEMA that are down there assisting with damage assessments this morning because it happened during the night. You got We started rolling about 8.30. Also getting uh, McDEMA, the uh, local emergency managers association there, uh, getting some damage assessment crews out there to assist uh, Jackson County. So we want to get a good picture of what's going on, estimating 100. Uh, homes whether and businesses and whatnot that possibly could have been impacted out of that storm.
1: Now your organization doesn't have direct responsibility for the power. That's the responsibility of the of the power
2: providers. That's, that's power that's, companies. That's correct. Do yep. you do you coordinate with them? Absolutely. We we have uh sixteen emergency support functions which sit in MEMA when we activate that State Emergency Operations Center and one of those is uh utilities, whether sure. it's water um, uh, things of that nature. And so absolutely some great coordination with uh, all the EPAs in the state. Uh, we know them by name. And uh, we have district um, um, area coordinators that are out within those districts, and they, of course, are as well as, as uh, on the ground. But uh, we are coordinating with them. And at the height of this, if you go back to the 12th, uh, um, you know, June the 12th through the 17th, uh, you know, every day a storm, every night a storm. You know, you get a break at some certain time, and uh, those damages have been rolling up. We we, we were up to 190,000, and then it'd roll back down to one tenth, come back up, yeah. come back down. So we're we're, we're right at about twenty thousand right now, okay. and some some folks have been without damages without uh, uh, electricity for about. Uh, five, six days. Wow. And, and uh, if they're on SNAP benefits, uh, because, you know, six, seven hours without power, you start losing food and other things, all they have to do is call that 1-800 number. Uh, it's, it's 800-948-3050, and they can actually uh, get some benefits loaded back on that card. Uh, uh, that was turned on uh, uh, just about two days ago. Gotcha. So, all right, um, tell us about the new, the new MEMA app. Yeah, we've got a, a new app out there that, that gives you some features that lets you know who your local uh, emergency management director is at the at the county level. Uh, you can also um, uh, go in there for for tips for how do you get prepared. And I, and I think uh, you know Central Mississippi and Northern Mississippi. This is kind of uh, well, I'm not going to say a new thing, but but you got to prepare for these uh, tornadic and high winds that have come through. Almost like you do for a hurricane, yeah. And, and of course, our coastal counties—we've practiced that every year. We spend a lot of put a lot of emphasis on that. But I, I think that's a, a good thing to look at um, statewide. You know, my mom would tell me in the winter, and I load your coat up. Well, I don't need it. I'm just going to school. Well, when the car has a flat, yeah, well, you got to get out yep. and work on it in gloves. And so, good point it, it just just be prepared to take care of yourself for a short period of time, and then uh, the, the the state and the federal assets, if we qualify, we'll be able to to, to mobilize that and get that into the area. So I'm looking
1: at the the screenshots uh, of the app presently and looks very comprehensive, easy to use. You can set it up uh, to send notifications in the event of either a watch or a warning or both for a
2: tornado, storms,
1: floods, hurricanes, tropical storm, freeze, winter storm. That's pretty cool.
2: We thought it was pretty cool to to let the person decide what they want to get alerts for. You know, of course, we're during a uh Mm -hmm. pop-up storm we want everybody to be warned, and and uh it's uh the the outside tornado sirens or sirens are for people that are outside so so you gotta you gotta have a way to be connected you lose power that phone should uh, hopefully have some charge on it and we'll be able to keep you updated and and we're going to enhance this Uh, i I think it's a a great opportunity my as my as my mom says you know i got a circle around where you live and i got a (laughs) circle around where i live so she can keep up with what's happening to me and you you can call somebody i remember Uh, during the storms uh, the night before in Jasper County. I was watching it go through Rankin County, so um, um, giving the alerts, and my wife was calling every other person she knew in Pelahatchie and Puckett and whatnot. And said, "Well, I'm just I'm watching a movie on my phone. Well, well you need to be watching something else that's coming towards you. Yeah. So it just gives you an opportunity to take care of your friends. Yeah, just to to, to let to let them know as well. I like it. Uh, I'm going to download it. I'm I'm glad to to learn about it. And most more people need to know. That's why we got you on today to talk about that. But it's looks yeah. to be very useful. Well, it's brand new. We we tested it for a while. It's it's been out there for a few months. Uh, and and when we Continue to make this thing better. We, we want to put some weather yeah. radar and some other things. You, you, it's like buying a car and then adding an accessory to sure. it. So, so, but we want to stay with the base of what MEMA does, and that is we prepare, we respond, and then we recover from uh, the, these types of events. And, and we want to continue with that role and be and be good at it. And I think it's just a good tool.
1: Yeah, and convenient links to all the various appropriate websites. Absolutely, um, yeah, which is a really good feature as well. Right. So, uh how many folks you got working at MEMA
2: now? These days Uh, we're about uh authorized about 182 in between leaving and coming back and uh um, uh, we average about 170 we're busy yeah Uh, there's there's no doubt about it i have uh uh, some folks on the coast uh, because we have uh, repetitive hurricanes every year we're working events uh and public assistance uh uh, trying to reinvest bridges uh, sewer you you name it um, if it gets damaged uh, we're, we're down there working on that every day so uh, got got a still a, the, the emergency operations logistical center there in in uh, Byron. We were able to acquire that facility during covid and uh, we've got all kind of supplies in there where we're able to uh, mobilize that when needed especially for covid uh yeah. as, as as we still it lingers it's not gone but uh uh the, the the period of performance for that has has expired so now we're 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 on the back side but uh, and then right there in pearl that's 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 the main office yep. and then i have people scattered uh, throughout the state that cover districts. So we have somebody out there that can fly a drone. That, that program has taken off. Uh, mm. We didn't realize how um, – I've, I've got, uh, I think, 19 pilots now. So, wow. so we are, if somebody's uh, lost, you get a silver alert, things like that. We're able to fly with infrared. We've found people on creeks and rivers that uh, missed a turn and didn't get picked up, and yeah. we're able to help locate them. But uh, we augment the um, Department of Wildlife, uh, Department of Public Safety, the locals. Uh, I, I tell everybody we don't have a weekend off. We yeah. uh, they just be out there ready to serve and, and, and ready to assist when we can. Technology. Totally changed it, hasn't it? It has. It has. You know, you, you go back to the days when I was originally doing that type of uh, search and rescue and whatnot. It was overland. You You filled up a backpack full of water, and you kind of walked everybody yep. online. And, and now you can cover some distance in certain times of the day using infrared and other technology. I mean, you really hone in it's incredible. On, on, on some folks that might need assistance.
1: Appreciate you coming in. The MEMA app, folks, available for both uh, iPhone, iPad, and Android. Uh, devices. I'm looking at it. It looks really cool. I'm going to download it. I recommend you do as well. Stephen McRaney, Executive Director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency, has been our guest. Thanks for coming on, Stephen. Right. Thank Appreciate. you so much. Yep. We're Absolutely. coming right back with more in the Element Wealth Studios.
0: Now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. The- 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 now. now, on to the real part. Dino Mike. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Well, the Dow has shed some of its losses. It's down 273 now. It was down 340 right before we started our interview with uh, Stephen McRaney from MEMA. Appreciate him coming in. The app does look pretty cool. Took a look at it. That's uh, it's a good idea, I think, to incorporate all the various information and data one would need from an emergency perspective in a single tool. That's a good idea, I think. So. I
3: mean, that's the direction the majority of popular apps are heading at the moment is they're trying to get as many features and capabilities under one roof as they can.
1: Yeah. I mean, so that it's
3: a one-stop shop.
1: And honestly, uh, Rhino, that's been a trend in, in software design, user interfaces, for some time. Oh, it's yeah. just easier said than done, uh, obviously. But, um, but it looks pretty cool. So we were talking about this crazy stuff from Huntington Beach, California, where, uh, at a high school there, 10th grade math class, a student captured on her phone the, uh, the playing of a video in the classroom that featured sexually explicit scenes, students themselves in the school, um, sexually explicit that happened to be gay, same sex sexual interactions. Totally inappropriate for a tenth grade. And right off if you listen to the if you listen carefully to the video, that's not gone viral, right? Of course everything does. It's got a lot of sizzle to it like that. You can actually hear the students say the teacher's name, hey Mrs. So and so, you know we're children, something to that effect. They just doesn't care. Just indifferent to that. There, there is no such thing as age appropriate anymore when it comes to the left's twisted, radical, sexual, ideological agenda.
3: There's no which is why I laughed when she said, "If y'all are going to be inappropriate,
1: <laughs> they they don't think anything is anymore. There's just no age appropriate aspect of any of those thorny issues. I, I don't understand that. I, I can't even wrap my head around it."
3: It's because the left is made up of simple-minded fools. When they see a rainbow, it must be good. I guess you're right. Well,
1: there, there's certainly no consensus on what's good, what's bad, what's appropriate, what's not, what's past, what's fail, etc. What's what's e- evil versus what's virtuous. It's happening, and this is on the C Spire text line, in the little old town of Tremont at both the elementary and high schools. That's why I pulled all three of my children from there. They are homeschooled now. My oldest boy graduated a year early. Others are on track also. That's on the C Spire text line. Is that Mississippi? This is from the 662. I'm not familiar with the town. Is that right? Tremont? T-R-E-M-O-N-T? So question for the individual that sent us this text I mean, you have some information about that? It, I, I'm curious. I'm not doubting you, but I'm I'm curious. I'd like to see it and like to expose it, honestly. If you've got some evidence that's um, empirical that this sort of stuff's going on. In a small town like that, it's even, I guess, a little bit more shocking. Maybe not. So I played last week. I can't remember, Rhino, if it was with you or, or Will, but it was the um, it was the big Air Force military celebration of Pride Day. And this video was from that we played was from, um, I think, a lieutenant general, if I'm not mistaken, that is the, the head person in the ranks at the new Space Force that Donald Trump formed. And it's a video where she talks about the need to embrace the LGBTQ community in in the Space Force. The Guardians is what the members of the Space Force are called, whereas members of the Army are called Soldiers, and the Navy, Sailors, and in the Air Force, Airmen, Marines, Marines. Uh, In this case, they're called Guardians. And she goes on to discuss how necessary it is for the military to embrace the LGBTQ community because it is, quote, a force multiplier and a wartime, a war-fighting, pardon me, war-fighting imperative. Now I, I can't comprehend why it's necessary to embrace the LGBTQ community. I'm not necessarily opposed to them serving in the military. I don't see it as being like integral or critical to being prepared to fight a war. I, I struggle with that one. What she says in there that was a bit shocking to me is that it's also important to embrace because of the recruiting efforts falling short of goals and she made a statement in there that really caught my attention. I don't know if this is true, but said between 19, those born between 1997 and 2004, twenty percent, twenty percent. Identifies as LGBTQ. 20%? That sounded high to me.
3: 20%. It's almost like it's a social contagion and a trendy fad for teens. Exactly. So, I, I got a little curious about that. And I
1: came across an article, a report, honestly, not an article, but a report about a poll done in the great state of New Jersey, the Garden State. And they say, so they polled high school students. No, pardon me. Elementary school. Elementary school students. They said that the number who identify as non-binary, they're not a female, they're not a male, it's up 4,000% over the last four years, 16 identified as non binary during the 2019 2020 school years. By 2022 23, it's now 675. 675. Don't think they're a, a boy or a girl. 675. So, as you would say, it's almost as if some adults with an agenda
3: are brainwashing them. You think? That combined with the inherent need of adolescence for attention. Agree. And they have figured out you can get attention, right, Delft-S3? Oh, yeah. What, what did the story... It is w- humorous that it's nearly the same amount, percentage-wise, as just a generation ago of teens that were considering themselves goth or alternative. That's true. It's almost something. like acting out is an adolescent trait. You know, I, again,
1: I don't want to deny them any rights that are available to them as citizens of this country. It's, that's not what this is about. I know there are people out there on the left that are thinking right now, what did somebody tell us last week? We're just butt-hurt white guys. No, it's not about that. You're, of course you that's missed the point. just a miserable pipsqueak. It, it, who wants so badly that to be the case. That's the, that's the idea. They can't understand the nuance here. They don't want to even try to because it doesn't fit their agenda. It doesn't float their boat. They don't get any sort of sexual, I'm um, not sexual, crazy, perverse satisfaction out of it. Somebody even trolled me on Twitter like over the weekend that the, the refrain you hear a lot own the libs I've never even used that in my life all oh, we think we own the libs what the hell's that all about i don't even know what that means i've never said That's that in my life somebody
3: that spends entirely too much time wrapped up in how they appear online okay who by the way won't reveal their true identity as you
1: know They have a fake monitor moniker Tommy <laughs> cowards you got to love them but i think you're right it's attention and so the adults know, oh, we can get to them by offering more attention, paying them more attention. So remember the story we shared about a year ago? They call it love bombing in some school district up north, where once a kid even starts hinting, thinking, looking, anything just remotely close to maybe being different in their actions or their words than they're biological gender, they then start what they call love-bombing them, which is that they shower them with emails and attention and affection and praise. Oh, we're so glad. It's it's a great, momentous occasion.
3: You're coming out. Even though, according to the Cleveland Clinic, love-bombing is a form of psychological and emotional abuse.
1: How about that? Cleveland Clinic said that. Well when you think about what they're doing is and what the agenda is, I'd have to say they're right. Because what happens is, oh wait, if I go mutilate my genitals, I'll get more of this, right? So then they say, well I'm kind of miserable, like a lot of kids are at some point in their life because of some minor thing, got them out of whack, oh, I'm going to go just change my gender. I'll get love bombed at attention. You people that do this, you're sick. You're despicable. We're coming right back. Here comes, here comes the
0: founder. Here comes, here comes the founder. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. on Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: That's just some good old '80s music there. It's awesome. Simple minds. We are back, so we got some tax rolling in here on this topic. And uh, now somebody jumped on us last week because said we spent too much time on it. And it's because every day there's something new that's just shocking. This to me is shocking. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. I find this situation in a 10th grade classroom, shocking. I find it shocking that in New Jersey, there's a 4,000% increase in the number of elementary students. How the hell do they even know? 675 in a given, uh, in the state, at elementary school? 675 in elementary school? Who say, no, I don't think I'm a boy or a girl. I don't know if I could find one Maybe I just am sheltered. But that's crazy to me. And I'm like you. It's not because they truly are suffering from gender dysphoria. It's cause the sick freak adults. And by the way, I want to clarify, when I went on my rant before we ended the prior segment, and I called them sick freaks, the sick is the adults, just so you'll know. The adults that are thrusting this crap on kids, on minors. Not the kids. They need help. The right kind of help. Not the kind of help that encourages them to go mutilate their bodies, often ruining their lives, resulting in many cases, I think you cited the statistics before us, uh, before Forrest, in suicide. The sick freaks are the selfish adults that have a sick agenda. They see this as the way to achieve power, to attain power. It's that, in a nutshell, period. Dan in Hattiesburg says, talking about the head of the Space Force, the U.S. Space Force, who said 20% of those born, and she used that range of years because that's who they're recruiting. Folks born during that time period, those are the current target for military recruiting. 20% are LGBTQ. 20%? That's one in five. Now just think about that, folks. You're in a room and there are five people in the room and one of them? I don't know. Again, I don't have any issue with it other than this constant pandering, this spending a whole month, this having these big events at the White House with the flag in the center, hung higher than the US flag. And hanging the flag at a military installation, essentially, the V-8 on our Gulf Coast, and others. That's what I have a problem with. And all the branches of the military with all their various recognition in social media, and then the head of the Space Force saying, oh, it's essential for war fighting readiness. That's what I have a problem with. It's the Dodgers Having to go back and forth and carving out a, a night, at, at least one, to give a platform to these sick, freak, sisters of perpetual indulgence mocking Catholic nuns. Yeah, I have a problem with that. Why do you got to bring in the Dodger Stadium? I don't care if they want to go do that crap, but, but why Dodger Stadium, which is a private organization? That's a business. It's the business of baseball. There were more people, by the way, outside the stadium protesting than inside the stadium. Which was, honestly, somewhat gratifying. So was the fact that they got their butt beat in the in the worst thrashing in a game they've taken in forever. They got to be like 14 to nothing by the Giants. It's almost like there was... A little divine intervention in the baseball game, right? It's So it's that kind of stuff again. It's the people that are always telling you to stay out of my body and my bedroom and my business want to put it front and center every day. That's the problem I have with it. It's the government and a president who says, I'm going to unite everybody. But he only really panders to or appeases certain small demographics economically it's the unions in, in from a from a demographic perspective of course it seems like it's the LGBTQ community they get more attention more benefits more privileges than anybody else i'm all for equality that's not equal That's unequal. That's the problem. It's 675 elementary school kids in one state of those polled. Those polled. 675. I'm not buying it. Just not buying it. Dan says, I think she missed a decimal point. 20% is crazy high. I agree. I wish some would do a study to see if celebrating everyone's differences, whether it be LGBTQ or whether it be race or whether it be religion, is actually causing the divide. I don't have a problem with anyone wanting to be gay or transgender. I do have a problem. Kids, I don't have a problem with anyone's race. On and on and on. It's causing more of a divide. That's Luke and Flowood. So by the way, just so you know, in the state of New Jersey, you know, they have a law that prohibits teachers, adults that come in contact with kids where the kid, where the child, the minor, has expressed gender dysphoria or has expressed that they have tendencies to be attracted to the same sex. They're gay. You can't out them. You can't tell the parents. It's against the law. That so, think about that. You can mutilate a child's body with impunity. But if you tell the parents, your child's got a, an issue here you might want to address, they come arrest your butt. That's upside down. That violates the rights of students. But mutilating their bodies is not unbelievable. Man, oh, man. Absolutely sick old folks. Tell it, says Blaine and Jackson. And Jackson, and I want to just clarify again. I'm talking about the parents that are using these children as their own little pawns for their own personal device, for their own personal gain. That is, So I don't want to hear this crap about corporate CEOs being so selfish and greedy. No, that's selfish and greed right That. When you're taking a, a child's future away from them, and you know you're doing it all for personal political gain, that is the ultimate form of greed. How can you call that anything but being selfish, egregiously selfish? Gary from Tishamingo uh, says, Tremont, am I pronouncing it correctly? It's Tremont, okay, is about 30 miles east of Tupelo, close to Alabama state line. Thank you. Now, somebody said they would be shocked. Where is that, if this is happening? They said they, they um, taught in the school district. Can you find that one on there, uh, Rhino? Um, I'm looking for it. Somebody said they taught in the Tremont School District and would be very surprised to find that this is happening. We had someone say, that's why I said, please, if you've got information pertaining to this, Clear empirical information send it to us i'd like I'd like to see it I, I, uh, It's not that I don't believe you, I just want to see it. When I was in elementary school, about seven years old, I would tell people I was an Android, like the Terminator, so I, can I still identify as a Terminator on the C spark tux line? It's crazy. I really believe it went into overdrive in 2015 when they came out with the reality show, I Am Jazz. She was a boy transitioning to a girl, says Karen in Ripley. I don't even remember that, but that certainly makes sense. It f- sort of feels to me like we just kind of made this rather um, pernicious transition from it being racism George Floyd. All start, started then. That's like the inflection point. And we, we just kind of advance from that now to this, this over-sexuality of everything. That's what it seems to me like. is that's, that's just kind of the new thing of the day. You, you made the point about, well, it was gothic at one point, right? All to get attention. Yeah. I think it's the kids whining to their parents who will not say no. Yeah, so, but why? Why are so many parents accommodating of this and not being the adult as they should be? Call me crazy, but someone with gender dysphoria needs a psychiatrist more than a surgeon, says Moe's. And, you know, you've seen now in the U.K., which I would argue is more liberal than the U.S., they're about to stop this gender transition surgery and hormone treatment for all minors. They're about to put an end to it in the U.K. So many physicians have come out and said this produces bad outcomes. We're stepping aside for a break. we got to get to the politics and the elections coming up in Mississippi. We're going to do that when we come back. Stay with us.
0: Three. You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Okay, so I found it. it's Louie from the 662. It says, I taught at Tremont from 2012 to 2014 before retiring, and I know the administration and most of the current faculty, and I would be absolutely shocked if there's been anything inappropriate viewed discussed in a classroom. As a matter of fact, one of the administrators, he retired at the conclusion of the past year as a preacher. So appreciate that. And I don't want to get something started. I just read a text, because I, I am asking for folks, if you have evidence, of uh, this sort of activity going on, inappropriate content, explicit sexual content, being promoted, pushed, shared in the classrooms in Mississippi. I'm curious. I'd like to know. Uh, This has to stop. And we're we're doing our children, I believe, a disservice, because we should be focused on what you need in the way of skills and tools to live a productive adult life that's the purpose of an education do you need to be accepting accepting and tolerant respectful and appreciate the dignity of all people absolutely but you don't have to that that goes both ways that's exactly right it's exactly right because stuff like what happened that we just shared in Huntington that's totally intolerant what that is. It's, uh, it's, it's inappropriate, especially when you go take a kid's phone, accost them, threaten them. That's intolerant. Simply because they were stunned as a 10th grader that you're showing this crap in a classroom. All right. Uh, we got the elections coming up here. In less than a couple of months, something that I noted, if I can find it here, is that uh, you may have seen it, Governor Gavin Newsom, he took a bit of a a shot at my home state of Mississippi. He was talking about the exodus, so you got him and DeSantis seem to have a little... Conflict going on, and I still think Newsom may ultimately be the nominee for president on the Democrat side. DeSantis was in California and was talking about the, the rather dour situation there in the Golden State with crime and homelessness and businesses shutting down because they can't function. AT&T just announced they're shutting down their flagship store. At Union Square in San Francisco, and I told my wife last night she and I had many trips, stays in, in um, San Francisco, the city by the bay, because of the the technology industry, a lot of it focused there, and enjoyed all the visits. And it's been years, but Union Square, fabulous, great place, great shopping, food, hotels, etc. Always beautiful, clean. Landscape to the hilt, not anymore. Now at t announces they're shutting down their flagship store because of a change in consumer buying habits. That's horse hockey. You're shutting down because of the crime, because of the homelessness, because nobody wants to go there, and you can't even get people to work in those environments. So California Governor Gavin Newsom, when called out by DeSantis when he was there campaigning, DeSantis, of course... Didn't hold back on the fact that California's losing population. Florida's gaining population. I think half a million, as a matter of fact, the last few years have moved into Florida. And his spin on the exodus, you know what he said? At least we're not Mississippi. I kid you not. Had to take a shot. Unbelievable. That's what he said. He contended that other states are seeing people leave at a faster clip, such as Mississippi. It's not true.
3: I was unaware Mississippi had a shortage of U-Hauls, like California did.
1: Right. And the original census showed we did lose population, a small amount. Revised census figures show we actually gained a small amount, very small amount. I'm not happy about that either. But taking a shot at a state like that? So, here's the deal, Gavin. Long before you were born, California was blessed by the good Lord with lots of assets. Lots of assets. And let's be honest, Rhino, that's what made California. It's the sunshine. It's the geography. It's the proximity to the Pacific Ocean and the Pacific Rim. There's a lot of stuff. It's gold.
3: It's... Yeah, nobody wanted to go there until they found gold.
1: Right. It's the dust bowl. There's a lot of things where that lined up, but probably most importantly, you are blessed with incredible weather. There's no doubt about it. And you've got within a couple hours, you can like experience all the seasons available because of the terrain. You got ocean, beach, mountains, snow. You're blessed. It happened before you got there, pretty boy. You've just done a good job of screwing it up, is what you've done. We're taking a break right here. We're coming back after Fox News and Super Talk News. we got Joel and Natasha at 1220.
0: And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin
4: your transition now
0: now on Super Talk Mississippi. You
1: Welcome back, everyone. The afternoon portion of Middays is with you. Don't forget, we've got Joel and Natasha joining us at 12:20 from America's Roundtable Radio Program, co-founders of International Leaders Summit. We got a lot of national stuff to talk about and global events as well. With Secretary of State Anthony Blinken going over there to China, yucking it up with Xi Jinping, some rather shocking. Statements made by the Secretary of State vis-a-vis Taiwan and their sovereignty. We'll get into that with Joel and Natasha. So, you know, the Mississippi Press Association had a candidate forum this past weekend, and it was kind of interesting. Governor Tate Reeves, his Democrat challenger in the general election, Public Service Commissioner Brandon Presley, they fielded questions from the MPA, and the question was asked, or or certainly put on the table by the governor, hey, where does Mr. Presley stand with respect to the bill the governor signed into law that bans Transgender surgery, or gender what's so-called gender confirmation surgery and hormone treatment, et cetera., for minors bans that in the state of Mississippi. The governor called those procedures quote "life- altering experimental procedures. He said to the left-wing media and talking to the press there in attendance and the his Democrat contender. Won't say a word about this particular issue, but this is, what, this is what Brandon Presley said. Here's the bottom line on that issue. Number one, I trust families, I trust mamas, and I trust daddies to deal with the health care of their children, first and foremost, period. Second, this is Brandon Presley, Speaking, this is a quote from him. Second, Tate Reeves brings that issue up for one reason. It's a smokescreen. Well, I see it differently, Rhino. I think that those who may have some interest in supporting Brandon Presley, because they see him as a moderate and not maybe a reflection of the left-wing Degree we see in Washington. I mean, that sort of dominates. I mean, here in Mississippi, because we don't really have, honestly, a very strong Democrat presence politically. But in Washington, we see that. And we see a lot of the policy that they advocate for. So the question always is are you going to break with them and maybe be more consistent? with uh, the values and the policy positions of the average Mississippian, including many Democrats? Or are you going to be beholden to the left in your party and their money and their support? And I think that's an important question on the part of the governor. Where do you stand on some of these issues where we've discussed it many times, there's a series of issues, an array, where you could just say, yeah, we're just a divided country on this. We just don't see it the same. One of those is, in fact, this gender affirmation surgery and hormone treatment and puberty blockers, etc., for minors. We have the red states, many of which have enacted laws prohibiting that. Many others are considering it. Then you've got the blue states, who are, now some of them are, are declaring themselves as sanctuary for transgender children. And they're just going off on the deep end in the other direction. Same with abortion after the, the uh, Dobbs decision, right? You had states that were implementing more restrictive measures because the matter was returned to the states, more restrictive measures on abortion. And then you had states that are making it more accessible, some cases, even helping to subsidize it, so yeah, those are important to know where do you stand do you do you go with the the left in the in the conventional policy positions in values of your party which you were affiliated with, or are you gonna try to play the middle of the road here so that you're more attractive to voters in Mississippi? I think that's those are fair questions on the part of the governor. Where do you stand? But there you go. Um, Mr. Presley also talked about his past history where he says, quote, I stood over the coffin of a loved one killed in the line of duty as a police officer. I think that was his uncle, if I'm not mistaken. And, I mean, man, that's terrible. I, I, I weep for you. I pray for you and your family in that respect. I, I am aware that that happened. I don't know exactly what that has to do with being governor. That's the issue I have. When you try to sort of maybe play on the emotions of people for political gain. I, I, I don't care for that, honestly. It's fair for a person to discuss their background. Absolutely. But it does seem like Mr. Presley tends to emphasize that a lot. I grew up in Nettleton. You know, I can almost recite it myself. We didn't have a stop sign and my, all
3: the other stuff, you know. About he loves telling the story about having to fill up three liter bottles so he could take a shower. Yeah, all that stuff. But he's also running under the same party that believes he has privilege because of the melanin content of his skin.
1: That's very true. Right, exactly. So that's where I have an issue. And it's just, just an objective analysis. I'm I'm not I'm not trying to necessarily um make any other statement than that. Just this objective analysis. Let's look at the lieutenant governor's race. I promised we we would talk about some state politics. We've got of course a contentious one, arguably the most contentious statewide race in the coming election, the primary August 8th, I believe. And We've got Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman and Senator Chris McDaniel. I've not seen any polls. Uh, I don't know where the race stands. I, I guess there was a poll, I take it back, that, um, that, the, that the, pardon me, the Hoseman camp referred to, and I can't remember who conducted the poll, but it showed him with a 20-point lead or something to that effect. I don't remember the name of the polling organization. I have not seen anything released by the McDaniel camp with respect to polls. Um, And then we talked yesterday, Rhino, about the money. They released their financial reports, and the Lieutenant Governor raised a bunch of money in May, $958,000, just compared to Senator McDaniel's roughly $100,000. So if that means anything, which most people do think that funds available to run a campaign is, is big, is an important factor, a critical factor in being elected. But what I've seen thus far is that the lieutenant governor tends to focus on what happened under his watch, his accomplishments under the four years that he has served the state as lieutenant governor. The senator tends to focus on the fact that he's not the lieutenant governor. I'm just being objective here. I'm not being critical of either in their campaigning. It's just what I have personally witnessed and consumed. I've seen I've seen both speak. And so, I guess as a voter, I'd like to know what are you going to do in the next four years. And I've not seen a lot of that discussed by either candidate. I, I have seen... Senator McDaniel say he'd like to repeal the income tax, for example. I mean, that's something that's been a controversial matter now for two years in Mississippi. We got some tax reform in 22, stopped short of full elimination and repeal. I've also, I believe, seen him say that he'd like to eliminate sales tax on groceries. Wants to do both. I'm all for that. I would invite the campaign to produce a working budget for the state of Mississippi that would reflect elimination of income taxes and elimination of uh, grocery sales taxes. I'd like to see that. I personally dug through that in great detail. I can't make the numbers work. You could certainly potentially make it work over an extended period of time, provided certain goals and objectives were met from a budgetary, a revenue and spending perspective. But I I, I think that any candidate that says they're prioritizing that, which I'm all for, okay, well we gotta have something under the covers. We got to have something of substance to support uh, such policy to make it work economically, mathematically. We're stepping aside for a break. Coming right back with Joel and Natasha from America's Roundtable radio program. Stay with us.
0: It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbons. Yeah. Mm. Come on! Let's get on with the show! Yeah. On Super Talk Mississippi. <laughs>
1: Everyone, middays, live from the Element Well Studios. We thank you so much for joining us today. And joining us now, Joel and Natasha from America's Roundtable radio uh, program, co-founder, also International Leaders Summit, host, co-host. We appreciate you guys uh, joining us today. Joel and Natasha, what's going on? Watching this thing with Anthony Blinken. I just got to start off by saying the U.S. seems to not support... Taiwan's right to sovereignty is what I got out of Anthony Blinken yesterday. Is that is that right,
4: Gerard? It's great to be back with you and also with your engaged listeners. Thank you for the opportunity of joining you all on Super Talk Mississippi Media. And you are right. The messages that were sent by Secretary of State Blinken certainly did not. Uh, communicate some of the key principles that we had hoped that he would communicate. In fact, it is important for America to engage in dialogue with major superpowers like China, Russia, India and other countries. However, in the case of China, we do see China as not just only a competitor, uh, but a rising power uh, where there are certain key threats that are emanating from China. So I guess a great number of us were hoping that there was going to be a robust discussion where key issues would have been communicated, like the human rights abuses in Xinjiang, the issues about uh, Taiwan's sovereignty. Uh, However, you are right about it. The fact that they did not really communicate a strong message of support for Taiwan, rather than you know, what we've been experiencing over the years with the Trump administration being very supportive of a strong U.S.-Taiwan relationship, and uh, in fact, it shows in uh, the incompetence of a administration in kowtowing to China rather than standing for key principles. It,
1: it just seems to me like, uh, Natasha, that until our government at the highest levels acknowledges and accepts the fact that we're effectively at war with China, we're not going to really push for meaningful policy as it relates uh, to America's safety uh, from a physical perspective and an economic perspective.
5: Right. You're right, Gerard. Thank you for having us today. Uh, Gerard, I mean, there are so many contentious issues that actually we should consider, as you said. uh, I mean, uh, China is our adversary. Uh, And, uh, you know, it's starting with the balloon, spying balloon, actually surveilling our military installations. Then the recent news of China establishing a surveillance and intelligence complex in Cuba, uh, Cubans are then much need ca- cash, so you know the Chinese are willing to provide a few billions of dollars to establish this installation, which is just hundred miles away from Florida to spy on our military installation in the southeast and also on our uh, ship uh, transportation actually then we think about lethal help that uh that rush that china is giving to russia in the war against ukraine so there are so many uh, and fentanyl that we didn't mention even so basically the major uh, chemical substances are coming from china to mexico to produce drugs that are crossing our borders so fentanyl which kills hundred thousand Americans, for last two years, each year, so 200,000 Americans died off of fentanyl overdose in last two years with chemicals coming from China. You said it right, Gerard. We have an enemy in China, and we need to really acknowledge that in order to address all these very contentious issues.
1: It just seems like we're, we're placating. We send the Secretary of State over there. He meets with uh, Xi Jinping, and it just seems like it's, it's everything he can do to appease and to placate. And I think when it was even brought up about China and, and their efforts in Cuba, as you said, a hundred miles away from the uh, U.S. Uh, coast at Florida, he brought up, well, you guys have military installations in Taiwan, and just kind of left it at that, which is an apples and oranges comparison, in my view. Uh, we got to wake up and realize that this is a problem. Let's turn our attention to the news this morning about uh, Hunter Biden and uh, him pleading guilty to misdemeanor tax charges, which I guess is a step in the right direction as far as exposing the corruption there. But when are we going to see anything with respect to the Burisma scandal and what, what happened there?
4: It is so important for the American public to be able to get to know what exactly happened between the Burisma company and the Biden family as Congressman Comer, as well as Senator Grassley, have communicated that they have uh, certainly been able to uh, review materials and found out that there is a whistleblower that communicated that there is an allegation of bribery, whereby Burisma, uh, through its various accounts, paid the Biden family uh, $10 million, $10 million allegedly going to uh, Joe Biden and allegedly $10 million going to Hunter Biden. There's also the allegations of recordings, tape recordings. Uh, apparently, this individual at Burisma had kept it for his own safety. And uh, so these are deeply concerning issues. And I think that the American public is very interested to knowing the truth regarding these issues. Yeah. It compromises America's security not only with Russia, China, but our other adversaries as well. And I think it's you know appropriate to state that there appears to be a two-tiered justice system in America where the Justice Department is being weaponized to go after a certain group of political leaders, elected officials that are Republicans, but giving a free pass to those on the left, Democrats, And uh, in fact, uh, someone just recently communicated that when you look at what uh, the uh, the uh, report said about uh, Hunter Biden. And if you compare Hunter Biden's case to say, for example, the actor Wesley Snipes, uh, Wesley Snipes uh, in that similar situation spent five years in jail. And apparently Hunter Biden is just going to get a a slap on the wrist. And that is injustice. That's what Americans see. And they are very concerned about this uh, system whereby there is a great erosion of public trust in these institutions that are supposed to uh, provide equal justice under under the rule of law.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's talk about uh, Russia and Ukraine. The war just keeps uh, lingering on there. Is the U.S. making the right moves there, do you think, uh, Natasha? This, This thing just seems like there's no end in sight.
5: Right. I mean, we're coming back to the beginning, actually, when we were saying we needed a strong U.S. leadership at the beginning. Uh, To actually stop the war, basically, from happening, Uh, and I believe, strongly believe that if President uh, Trump was in charge, we wouldn't see the war in Ukraine. Now we are; uh, we don't have other choices. We're here where we are. Uh, Russians are really pushing. You know, they're not uh, seizing uh, the opportunity to take more territory. Uh, They haven't gotten to the point of. You know, they still have a lot to lose if they stop uh, right now. So they need. They need to be offered some kind of uh, you know saving face uh, for Putin to stop the war, otherwise this will continue we we're not really advocating for that but uh, we just cannot look at so many you know civilians and 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 you know the war that is just uh, you know getting nowhere because we, in in the end as after the Balkan wars, we're just going to conclude after a few years that you know hundreds of thousands of people die for nothing yeah. and Ukraine that wanted sovereignty, perhaps will become EU member country. So what was this all sovereignty question? I mean, it is sovereignty away from Russia for sure, but we need to make sure that, you know, we look in a principled way. So I think that we, you know, we need to probably do more diplomatic, just to prevent more civilians to, to, to die. I mean, this is really terrible.
4: Yeah. Let's talk if, about if the finally. add. Uh, yeah, please, Joel. Yeah. Please. Yeah, in, in regard to Russia, as we see it today, Gerard, Uh, In fact, we did not have that peace through strength policy being affirmed. It was really being undermined. And the Biden administration, as we talked about earlier on, with the hasty withdrawal, the chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan, really showed weakness to individuals like Putin and and Xi Jinping. And uh, in fact, I I would say that uh, individuals like Putin took advantage of the fact that we no longer uh, have that strong uh, foreign policy, as well as military strength, uh, to address some of these issues, and you know I'm concerned that there is not just only waning support in Congress uh, for this, uh, for supporting Ukraine, but there is waning support within the public. And, uh, and that's also a great concern.
1: Yeah, it just feels like that we've got Putin uh, on one side and Xi Jinping on the other side that just uh, view this country as weak and having feckless leadership, and they just believe they can do whatever they want with impunity, and it's, uh, right. it's kind of scary. Appreciate you guys joining us. Always a pleasure, and, and uh, appreciate the insight, especially on some of these global tensions. You guys take care. Thanks a lot.
5: Thank you so much, Gerard. Take care. Thank
1: Thank you. 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 We're coming right back with half an hour left on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us.
0: We interrupt this program. Gerard Gibert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
1: i tell you what, John Bonham's hand on that hi-hat is going awfully fast on that one, isn't it? You've seen video of him playing that? Oh, yeah. He, like, just attacks that drum kit, doesn't he? The great John Bonham of Led Zeppelin, of course. His son's pretty dang good, too, honestly. Jason, I think, is his name, right? Jason Bonham, is that right? Seems like it. It's a, almost a clone of him on the drums. Uh, sovereignty. I need a ruling on how to pronounce this word on the ceasefire text line. I apologize. I realized after I said it, I said sovereignty, and I'll tell you why. My head still had in it something I wrote yesterday that included the word iniquity in it. I apologize for that. Mispronounced it. That's how you do it. This person also, I just noticed a text that I don't know if we responded to. But I think it's noteworthy. Please explain how vouchers won't hurt good public schools like Oxford. That was back from March, and that was during our time slot. I guess I was on the program then. I don't know that I had a guest host, but I'm certainly an advocate for school choice. And uh, as far as hurting good public schools like Oxford, well, uh, let's think about it. Here here are the possible results of a school choice program in the state of Mississippi. If you have students attending public schools in Oxford that opted to attend private schools, their money would follow them and be taken out of the public schools, would not be allocated to the public school. It would be used instead to fund their tuition in other schools, or it could be a homeschool setting as well. So I guess you could say you're losing the funding and losing the student as a result, so your cost should be down effectively. Then on the other hand, you could have students that would receive uh, a voucher, if you will, the amount that the state allocates per student that may apply to be admitted. To the Oxford public schools, It doesn't apply just to Oxford. That's just a question on the text line. But that's the way the system would work, and there should, could would be some uh, some guidelines around that. Some some limitations. You can't just let everybody just pile into one school. Obviously, that doesn't work. So, I mean, it just depends on how you structure the program. But. What's the concern there, I guess, is what I'm looking for that
3: there's not a whole lot of demand for students to leave a good school.
1: That's exactly right. The good schools are, are in good shape. They're protected. The ones who would have a problem, where you really would face the biggest problem, I believe, would be in areas where you've got really poor performing schools very close in close proximity of high performing schools. And you'd have kind of an exodus from the poor performing schools where those parents, those students, would request to be admitted to the higher performing school that's within driving distance, if you will. It's practical for them to attend. And their money would also follow the student to the new school. But that could be a big problem. So you have to have some reasonable limits on that, but the bigger thing that you hope would happen is that the poor performing schools will get their act together and quit being poor performing schools, so that there would be no demand, no desire to exit the school. That's the idea. But this is an issue that is uh, really getting a lot of traction across the country, several states. It's the first thing Arkansas did when Sarah Huckabee Sanders Became governor. It's top priority. She made a big deal out of signing that legislation into law. Also, um, Iowa as well. What's her name? Kim Reynolds, is that right? The governor of Iowa. Remember, she made a big deal out of that when Iowa adopted school choice legislation, passed it, she signed it into law. Florida, um, Arizona, numerous other states. Have uh school choice legislation in the works, Alabama is close as well. walls are closing in a little bit on Mississippi in that regard, and that Mississippi of course holds itself up as a as a as a red conservative state, and school choice is good conservative policy, so I think you're going to see more um, more interest in that in more work on that in the next uh, term in our legislature. Ben from Madison asked, Do you know if Lieutenant Governor Hoseman has explained his logic behind... uh, No, pardon me. I'm going to start back a little before that. Any chance you could get either McDaniel or Hoseman on the program before Neshoba County? I'd like to hear their positions regarding the ballot initiative. That's, of course, one of the more high-profile issues... Uh, being debated in the state, and certainly something that I think distinguishes Chris McDaniel from Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, in that Chris McDaniel does support um, reinstating the ballot initiative. And when we had him on the programs, what, three months or so ago, you remember, we kept him for an hour and asked a series of questions, and that was one of them, and as I recall, he supports it uh, and supports the signature requirement being consistent with present law. The difference between his position on that and Delbert Hosman's is that the lieutenant governor supports a higher signature requirement, and just different formulas, and is seemed like when we did the math, it's it was about 40,000, 35,000 more signatures require, like 140 versus 108,000. That would be... And lo- I've,
3: I've said before, and I'll say again, his logic, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I agree with you. Because his logic for a higher threshold is he doesn't want out-of-state interests to be able to come in and make waves with a ballot initiative, My argument is, if you raise the threshold so much, then the only people who will be able to afford to make any kind of difference via the ballot initiative would be out-of-state interests.
1: Totally agree. And
3: I've shared that with him,
1: Rhino, one-on-one, by the way, in a private setting. I came to the exact same conclusion. You and I, think, both did like the same time. It was pretty straightforward. Well, what you're trying to achieve here, which is, what you say you're trying to achieve, at least, which is making it more difficult um, so that out-of-state interest would not invest, would not come into Mississippi and try to push something through the ballot measure process. In fact, just the opposite, that if you increase the signature threshold, you're pretty much rendering a, a scenario where they may be the only ones who could afford and have the resources
3: to collect the requisite signatures to get the measure on the ballot and I, it's I, already at, at the current now de- defunct level it's already a high enough bar a high enough threshold that it requires a large amount of organization and it's money. not like you can just show up at a at one singular large event with 10 people in clipboards and gather enough signatures it just, it's just not possible and then based on our law
1: uh, has has to be equal across the congressional, the four congressional districts, which means you can't just go to one concentrated area where there's an interest in Correct. whatever that measure is. You've got to get uh, broad support from across the state. I actually think that makes sense, honestly. But, um, yeah, and Ben from Madison points out, only three initiatives in 80 attempts tells me the process was incredibly difficult where it was, just like you just said. Why make it harder? So I, I think the answer to that, and again, this is my opinion, I think that the, the underlying true reason is because most people in the legislature really don't want the public making law. You just sort of see it the same way? That, oh, yeah. I think they would say, well, gee, that's what you elect me for in a Republican form of government. I'm your representative. You speak through me. And we're responsible for that. Now, what I'll point out is, I know there are a lot of people, including, and mostly they talk about this from the McDaniel cl- camp, that would fashion themselves as, as a deeply conservative. Just keep this in mind. This is what I think happens if we get a ballot measure process. It's not, nothing new. We get a measure to enact recreational marijuana, I think it would pass. We'd get a measure to uh, make abortion available and more accessible, I think that would pass. And we get a measure to uh, expand Medicaid, and I think that would pass. And those are, by the way, waiting in the wings. I mean, there are organizations that have already ginned up their apparatus to get that done. That's what we'd get. Which probably, if it were a bill going through the legislature would fail and would not be supported by the very people who are really going after the lieutenant governor on the ballot measure And It is true that, yeah, he makes no bones about it. He, he opposes it, and he kind of tacitly supports it with a higher signature threshold. That's just, I think, the reality. We're coming right back with the final segment on Middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studio.
0: Gerard Gibbert. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. 1425 and 498, i throw rock and roll
5: party on the last. Day, good. Jerry Lee
1: Lewis. Okay, so the squad, I'm just looking on the television here. You know the squad up in Congress there. They got a new agenda. They want to ban renters, landlords, I should say, from performing background checks on potential renters. <laughs> Unfreaking believable. That's just unbelievable. So. You got to allow people that don't pay their bills, don't pay their rent, have been evicted, committed felonies. You got to allow them people to rent your property, even though they don't pay you. And even if they don't pay you, you can't kick them out, right? It's what they want. Once again, you want to know what greed is? That's greed. That's greed. Not not rising every day to maximize profit. That's not greed. When you're doing it because you're serving the public, your fellow man, that's not greed. That's how we build a prosperous society. Unbelievable. A so prosperous society
3: that has allowed people to become so comfortable that they have to invent oppression.
1: Exactly right. Exactly. It's the incumbency. telling you. You just hit the nail on the head. On the C Spire text line, Reed says Mississippi won't because the legislature is afraid of the education mafia. What are you talking about, Reed? I'm not sure. It's Larry a choice. Well, it is true that uh, in the there same is vein
3: a, as like Arkansas,
1: there is a strong okay, there is a strong lobby, and they are present in the Capitol. And with respect to the, uh, the there's the parents' campaign. I think there's another organization as well, and. That they see school choice as being anti-public schools, and it's simply not. On the c text line, the same individual that said something about school choice potentially hurting good schools like Oxford says, the main reason you would leave a good school would be to go to a school that had fewer minorities. Let's just be honest. Okay, I'm going to be honest. It's just the opposite. You got that totally, completely wrong. It's just the opposite. And the main reason someone said, I think it's uh, Larry and my says, I've talked to some people in Rankin County who don't really want to discuss the idea of skill choice. It's not popular here where, where I live either, in Madison County, where the skills are very good, and it's because of the fear of what I just talked about that uh, completely counter to what this individual said that was talking about Oxford, it's the inner-city kids in the schools in Jackson that are failing whose parents would seek to relocate them to nearby Rankin County or Madison County or Clinton where the schools are excellent. That's the concern. So it's just the opposite. And so the concerns in those districts are that the Jackson students would begin to increase in numbers in our schools and that potentially could I don't know, dilute the school.
3: Well, One argument I've seen is that it's going to become a racial issue because the surrounding school districts in an area like the metro does not have room for all the students that would want to leave Jackson Public Schools. So by having to use a lottery, you're going to have some people upset that they didn't win the lottery. Right.
1: So this person says, I can assure you every student at Regents, I don't know what that is, school in Oxford will be asking for their money to leave Oxford School District and go to Regents. Okay, that's fine. But Regents doesn't have to accept them. That's the other piece you're missing there. And they won't and can't. But if Oxford School District is so good, why do they want to leave Oxford School District and go to Regents? Then you know what the solution to that is? Get Oxford School District to be as good as Regents. That's the idea. That's the whole idea. Sue in Greenwood says, it appears that our legislature in a comfort seat, comfy seat that they don't want to give up for some reason may be the money. I assume you're talking about the ballot measure process there, um, Sue? I, I just think that, in general, many of them feel like, look, you,
3: you... It was the Supreme Court that shut down the medical marijuana ballot initiative.
1: Oh, yeah, I saw what she said there. That's not right. Which uh, he, pardon me, that's right, boy named Sue. So, also, there was something else about uh, somebody asked uh, let's say, yeah, if private schools take the government money, will it also come with the rules of a public school, as in prayer and schools? The answer to that is no. And you recall, as a case of the Supreme Court, that was just decided, what, like a month ago, because there was, what state was it, maybe Maine or something, where they have school choice and they were using vouchers to attend parochial school, Catholic school? And there was some lawsuit over that. Went to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court said, no, if you want to take your money and enroll your child in a, a faith-based school, perfectly fine. So the answer to that is no. Does not stand in the way of that. But we're out of time here today. Man, end of the program. A lot more to talk about, uh, as you can tell. We'll get to all that tomorrow. We'll continue the discussion with the elections in Mississippi upon us here in less than uh, two months. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.
0: A Supertalk Mississippi Media Production.